in my, in my hand, I'm holding my iPhone and everybody has one of these things now. Right. Man, I was in rural China last year. I saw old ladies with these things in their hands, right? I was like, everybody's got a phone right. and everybody's got a camera on this phone. Mm -hmm. And that means everybody can be a filmmaker. I think that's exciting. My name is West Givens and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. You just heard part of my conversation with filmmaker Michael Cheney. We discussed how his students' films have evolved throughout his teaching career, what he considers the most important thing about making a short film, and his recent project, Thin Places, Iceland, that screened at the 2019 Skad Savannah Film Festival. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 51 of the Tungsten Originals Podcast. Professor Cheney, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, West. It's good to be here. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I appreciate you asking. Yeah, I know it's a, it's a busy time of the year finals week. I assume, is it as busy for the professors as it is for the students? Oh, you better bet your bottom yeah. dollar. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got, you know, you guys are done after tomorrow. That's but, true. But we've got a whole weekend of grading right. and comments and right. all kinds of fun reports. <laughs> Do you save that for the weekend? Oh, no. I try to get a jump on it. I used okay, to save good. it for the weekend, but now I get a jump on it and okay. I chisel away a little bit at a time. Right. One interesting connection that we have, as I both, as I just mentioned, you're uh, your professor here at SCAB, but we are both from Mississippi. That's right. The great Magnolia State. You would be the fourth Mississippian that's been on this podcast, other the than fourth. myself. Just oh, the fourth. okay. All right. Yeah. So and got... one of those is my brother. So, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you the know. two of us, your brother, who's the fourth? <laughs> um, uh, like a guy I went to high school with and then my like hometown best friend. That's great. So we're getting the numbers up slowly, awesome. slowly but surely. Well, there's a lot to offer in, the, in, in our home state. Yes, exactly. And I want to dive into that. Um, you're a film professor here at SCAD, but before we talk about your career, I want to talk about your upbringing and how you got started in filmmaking in the first place. You're from Vicksburg, right? This is true. I am from Vicksburg, okay. Mississippi. And you were born there? I was born in Greenwood. Oh, but, okay. Uh, I, I lived in, in, you know, for the most part, in uh, most of my, my life in Vicksburg. Okay. I grew up there since I was three. Okay, gotcha. Is your family particularly artistic? Do you remember when you started paying attention to art at all? Well, I think my family is particularly creative. Right. Uh, yes. Maybe not artistic. You right. Know, um, <laughs> my dad, in particular, is uh, is, is dabbled in, in many uh, gentlemanly uh, artistic pursuits. Yes, so, I see. Uh, <laughs> so, um, whenever you were a child, like, were they were your parents fostering? Um, like, were they very encouraging of you? exploring creative endeavors? Yeah, I mean, the story goes, I, I drew a picture when I was a kid and my, of a boy standing next to a rock, and I think my mother called the teacher and said, Michael didn't really draw this, did he? He had help. <laughs> and the teacher said, uh, no, he, he did that. And <laughs> uh, and since then, they thought, okay, well, this, this kid might have talent. Let's, gotcha. let's encourage him, yeah. encourage him to pursue it. And they did. I yeah. had really supportive parents growing up. Great. They were very, yeah. very supportive in terms of my artistic endeavors, um, and they really encouraged me right. to Right. pursue them they encouraged me to pursue them both visually and also mm -hmm. like through creative writing right oh, um, okay gotcha. I, I tried to be a rock musician i wasn't very good at it <laughs> but you know yeah they thought that was cute yeah <laughs> as, as all parents do <laughs> of course that's funny because there's a story with my dad where he drew or he painted a picture of like a shed in second grade and we have it framed in my house and he says that his mom did it <laughs> so oh, yeah <laughs> it's like what he was accused of was the actual truths right <laughs> in the same sense of your story so you started off with like doing visual art. 
Yeah. Were you making movies as a as a child? As okay. a young, you're, you're gonna make me date myself, Wes. <laughs> um, back in the day. Well, you, tomorrow's your 26th birthday. Yes, you've thank had a great you. yeah, career yeah. so far. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. God bless you. Um, now you know. I was, I've always been fascinated with movies and storytelling. Okay. You know, I mean, just you know, being a southerner, we never right. let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> so I've always That's a good uh, way of putting it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. I've always appreciated um, southern storytellers mm -hmm. and the storytelling tradition in the South. And I thought that there is a connection there between right. visual arts and storytelling. And I didn't really put that together until, you know, as a teenager that, oh, wow, that's what filmmaking right. is. Okay. Um, I remember as a kid looking through the Sears calendar, uh, the Sears, Sears catalog, which right. is what we did back then in the yeah. 70s when you were a kid. Uh, and, you, and you put circles around your Christmas list right. items. And I always would circle that Super 8 camera. Uh, but that was, oh, you know, really? that was an investment. I think my right. parents were like, hey, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't think he's serious about that. But there was a point where I would borrow. It got to a point when I was, I was, I was young and I, I borrowed my next door neighbor's Super 8 camera mm -hmm. and my friends and I from the neighborhood would make really goofy films and yeah. it was really fun. It was always really awesome waiting on that film to get back from right. the lab and right. watching it on a film projector. Yeah. Going, wow, we did that. Yeah, that's a rare experience these days. Yeah, well, you know? it is. I mean, yeah. there's an immediacy on our phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my, my dad was always really fascinated with technology. And mm -hmm. I, I remember I was about 10 or 11 when he brought home a Betamax. Oh, cool. Yeah. And that was the That's cool. That was the competitor to VHS right. back in the day. Right. Um, and it lost out. It had better yeah. picture quality, mm -hmm. but you would have to change tapes halfway through a movie. Uh -oh. The tape was an hour long. He had two movies that he had with this thing. One was Star Wars and the other was the Blues Brothers. Oh, right? wow. so this is like 19, it must have been 1979 yeah. when he brought this thing home. And I was like 11. Mm -hmm. uh, and so my sisters and I would just watch these two films mm -hmm. ad nauseum. I mean, forever. <laughs> right. I, I, I'm not even kidding when I tell you that I think I have seen Star Wars Episode Four: A New mm -hmm. Hope at least a hundred times. <laughs> oh, wow. And I promise you- And that's you, when it was just Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. It was just it Star Wars. <laughs> it wasn't in the entire universe. <laughs> right. Uh, and likewise with the Blues Brothers. Yeah. I mean, that was the film that I was like, wow, this is something just utterly bizarre about this right. film. It's got singing and dancing. Mm -hmm. It's got comedy. It's got drama. It's got romance. Stuff mm -hmm. is blowing up. I love this movie, you know? <laughs> right. You know, they're, Illinois Nazis are falling off buildings. I just, there was something about that movie that <laughs> right. really opened me up. So I think yeah. between John Landis and George Lucas, I was intrigued. My mm -hmm. interest was really piqued. So was your dream, like, when you were watching those movies, were you like, I want to do something big like that or was it just making it in general not necessarily it was the idea of telling the story that was fantastic okay. i just gotcha. love the idea of fantastic stories and right. the blues brothers is a fantastic completely implausible story right and so is star wars yeah exactly and i think that as my interest developed my favorite filmmakers were folks like well you know later down the line favorite filmmakers became people like david lynch right you know not mm -hmm. just blue velvet i think I had an early on fascination with Dune. I know people mm. give it a hard time, but boy, I just yeah. had such an affinity for that film. Mm -hmm. um, films like Three O'Clock High that were goofy and used a lot of uh, robust camera movement, and there were contemporary adaptations of right. High Noon, you know? Yeah. I just I just love that kind of stuff. And <laughs> right. then, you know, I just started getting things like John Carpenter movies, like mm -hmm. The Thing, and then, or Scanners by David Cronenberg. Yeah. And, uh, and those are the films that really piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. But I was having a hard time reconciling that with being a real artist, you know, being that oh, kid that always drew. Oh, Or that okay. kid that was making sculptures or, you know, hmm. I was like, wow, no, that stuff's kind of mainstream, isn't it? Mm. I don't know. They're really cool stories. Right. 
Um, was it like the commercial aspect of it? No, I, it's it's really weird. I felt like I was cheating on art if I really? took my creative wow. energies and put it towards filmmaking. Gotcha. How did you reconcile that? Like, how did you get over that? Uh, well, I think... Um, Other than just naturally maturing, <laughs> you know? Well, my, my dad had a video camera. Uh, it was a VHS camera. Mm -hmm. Probably, I, I don't know, it was maybe 13 when mm -hmm. he acquired it. And we still have these VHS tapes of me, like, narrating my parents' tennis match. Oh, that's which amazing. Is, no, it's... <laughs> no, that's such a cool memory to have, you know? I was, I was a bit of a smart ass as a kid, as I still am. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, Growing up in Mississippi can do that, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same thing happened to me and my whole family. <laughs> Thank you for appreciating that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but there was, I don't know, a synthesis began to occur, I, th okay. I think, in college when I, I began to, to see that filmmaking could be another medium for art making. Another legitimate medium. Yeah. Okay. So where did you go to college? Well, I, I, went, I, I went to Mississippi State University for gotcha. two years. So whenever you went to state, what were you declared as? What was your major? It was an art major. I got a scholarship. I got a, okay. a portfolio scholarship to go gotcha. to Mississippi State. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's where my family went. And mm -hmm. I loved the school. And I, I, I had a great time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think my sophomore year, one of my teachers... Um, I was doing some funky stuff. I was mm -hmm. I was making Super 8 films, right. and I was painting, um, I was doing a lot of drawing, and I was, you know, maybe I was partying a little bit. My <laughs> grades were rock solid. I was a Dean's List scholar. Mm -hmm. But I think, I remember one of my teachers took me aside and said, if you're going to be serious about this, you need to... You need to show some discipline. And he mm. recommended that I apply to a particular school in California. And it, at first I thought, maybe I'll, I'll go to film school. But mm -hmm. I eventually ended up going to an art school. And mm. it was at this art school that I began to to start investigating that synthesis between okay. drawing and painting yeah. and performance art and filmmaking. Um, and it all kind of started to not quite come together, but yeah. I, I, I just felt like a fuller artist. I don't want to sound no, pretentious. That, that makes sense. You know, it's like yeah. I was I had film classes and painting classes, and I was mm -hmm. like projecting films on canvases, and I think I was simultaneously pissing off my painting and my filmmaking <laughs> teachers. That's a good achievement in yeah, art yeah, school. Was, <laughs> <laughs> You're like really crossing the majors there. But I was really curious about that synthesis, right. you know, and, and that's when I discovered video installation. And mm. that really piqued my interest. Yeah. I thought, wow, okay, now here's filmmaking, and it's still kind of like object making, It's but it's an environment. Right. It's like art. Yeah, it's like three-dimensional kind of. It's in like a physical space yeah. instead of like projected on a 2D Totally immersive. Platform. Right. Now, I have a theory about this. I think that it was because, you know, growing up in Mississippi and spending the majority of you know, the first 20 years of my life, I don't want to say isolated. I mean, I went to places like Texas, Louisiana. Right. Um, but Mississippi is definitely its own place. It's its own. Yeah. You I know? mean, it's like it's it's like its own country. And, yeah. You know, that's it's, so true. Yeah. And, I love and, meeting someone that knows that and recognizes well, that. You, and I guarantee you, know? and that's the thing, you know, mm -hmm. when you and I meet each other, it'll, right. it'll take us about 45 seconds to figure out who we both know. Oh, exactly. You know, and yeah, that's like exactly. the whole state is one giant small town. Yeah, exactly. So I was looking for, I wanted to travel. I wanted to see what else yeah. was going on in the world. This is our pre-internet. I couldn't just look it up. Right. I was fascinated with different cultures. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think that was one of the things I loved about Vicksburg, and I still do, is right. that it's incredibly multicultural mm -hmm. and diverse. I didn't realize it until I got out. I thought right. that, you know, Southern food was fried chicken and collard greens and kibbe and tabbouleh because right. we had a huge Lebanese population oh, in my hometown. <laughs> I, thought, okay. I thought Lebanese food was Southern. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> wow. Yeah, we definitely don't have that in my hometown. <laughs> so whenever you were going to state and, you know, exploring these different art disciplines, 
were you thinking about like your career and what you wanted your job to be? Or are you just exploring what you wanted to explore? No, I wasn't thinking about what my job would be. Not at all. In fact, I remember sitting down with another teacher who's like, look, man, you know, if you're going to make a living, this is what you're going to have to do. And right. You're going to have to take this class in photography, yeah. this in graphic design layout. Right. And he was basically setting out this this course curriculum for me to go, you know, do layout in a for a catalog company or right. something. And I just knew in my heart, man, no way do I want to do that. Gotcha. I want to explore things. I want to see the world. Mm -hmm. And I want to interpret my experiences through some kind of medium. And hmm. I, it'd be great if I could make a living doing that. But you're like, I'll just figure that out later. Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, I thought, yeah. okay, I'm going to have, I'm, you know, I studied illustration. I thought mm -hmm. illustrations, I can draw. So illustration is a good career. People always okay. need people to draw things. Right. Okay. So you go to this art school in California and you discover video and Installations, do you just immediately dive into that? Not immediately. Okay. I, mean, I was taking film classes right. and I was also taking painting classes mm -hmm. and drawing classes. And I was just, you know, and this was in the late 80s. So mm -hmm. some of the stuff was just percolating. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. You know, I, a very formative time for that it type was. of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I got introduced to two artists like Nam Jun Pak, for example. And I thought the work that he was doing in the 60s and 70s was really terrific. You know, but there weren't too many video artists working. It right. was still fairly nascent media. And so, you know, you know, I left and I started immediately got a job in the film industry making educational films. Oh, okay. So uh, tell me that story. How did you enter into that industry? Well, as as an undergrad, I was uh, working on a lot of student productions, mm -hmm. mostly as a production designer. Um, oh, interesting. And I, was, okay. I was making my own making my own little films and, right. and still experimenting and sussing it out. Mm -hmm. And I, I just landed a job with my knowledge of being on set, mm -hmm. producing educational films. Gotcha. Um, it wasn't all that rewarding. Right. But I was learning the craft a little right. deeper a, on a practical basis. But I quickly realized that, no way, man, I don't want to, I'd rather <laughs> make my own stuff. Right. And that's when I went to grad school. Okay. So um, what was your grad school experience like? It's fantastic. Yeah? Yeah. Where did you go to grad school? I, I went to a really interesting program. It was at the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Oh, wow. Um, the degree actually comes from Tufts University in, in Medford. Oh, okay. Which is where I did my academic work. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it was a very... My undergrad experience had been kind of intensive on a labor level, mm -hmm. but I think my graduate experience was very intensive on an introspective level. They hmm. really wanted you to foster a, a unique cohort where you're assisting one another and holding each other responsible for right. getting serious about getting into some some complex material. So was that more film focused? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, the program I, I went into doesn't have your you know, your degree doesn't say film on it. Your right. degree just says you're a master of fine arts. That's it. Uh, so what a nice thing to be to be bestowed upon you. Well, you are yes, a master, a of, master the of the art. fine arts. Yes, <laughs> I'm a master. <laughs> so when did you make your first feature film? <laughs> uh, I did that like uh, three years into grad school. Really? Yeah. Okay. So what was that experience like? And um, were you were like were you going into that like I am in way over my head? Yeah. Yeah. But we did it, and we learned a lot from it. I mean, those are back in the days before. This is in the early or mid nineties. Mm -hmm. So this was before the digital revolution. Right. Everything was shot on sixteen millimeter, mm -hmm. and uh, you have a very low shooting ratio. Yeah. Uh, like two or three to one. Mm. So meaning, if if you are going to have sixty minutes of film, 
and your final project, you mm -hmm. would shoot three hours of film to get down to that one hour. Right. Today, with video cards, I think a lot of a lot of student filmmakers are shooting ratios of you know five or ten to one. Mm -hmm. So there's a luxury there. Right. I saw in my editing aesthetics class with Professor Brennan, he showed us um, like a chart showing shooting ratios. And it showed like with, you know, with Marvel movies and big Hollywood stuff, it's like well into the hundreds and sometimes into the thousands because they just have 14 cameras yeah. on set. I remember the story about Spielberg shooting Hook and just this right. leaf fluttering down. And he was like, no, nah, it's not fluttering. I right. shoot it again. <laughs> and it's just money rolling through that yeah. camera. You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. It's the sound of 35 millimeter gold. Right. So once you completed your first feature film, were you bestowed this great confidence? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was bestowed, wow, I got a lot to learn. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I made, I made some shorts, and the shorts, I yeah. think, were, you know, went to a lot of festivals, and mm -hmm. um, they were, they're, you know, the people, oh, you're the guy that made the film about you and Jesus playing golf. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> oh, I really want to see that movie. <laughs> I'll share it with you. It was <laughs> really do. fun. Wow. Um, you know, I still had to make a living. One of the things that I did was at the end of my graduate school studies as I went down to uh, the Dominican Republic hmm. to make a documentary film for the Peace Corps. Oh, wow. And so I spent uh, close to a month doing that. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed the travel experience. Mm -hmm. But what the production experience helped me get work when I moved to New York City. And so I started to do, well, I guess we would call that unscripted mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. um, and I did a lot of wraparounds for cable. It was a very okay. different... Very different industry back then. I mean, right. today there's so much content. Yeah. There's so many jobs available. Yeah. Back then it was kind of like, oh, okay, well, um, I'll make this branded content stuff before mm -hmm. we called it branded content for these blue mm -hmm. chip companies. And right. um, I did a lot of work for a guy named Edgar Brofman Jr., who at the time owns the Se owned the Seagram Company, and he, he also owned Universal Studios. Mm. Um, and I began to experience this kind of ugh, sticky taste in my mouth of, being this kind of corporate, um, I don't know, you know. It's kind of like your your feelings as a child when you were trying to reconcile with that as well. It's almost like that carried with you. Yeah. You know, like keeping the art pure in a way. And I was there, I was like selling things from Merck Pharmaceutical and, you know, like, <laughs> right. Uh. right. And that's why I came to teach. Okay. Yeah. So um, whenever you were shooting those educational videos, I know that you said, you know, oh, no, that's those not what I wanted to. Right. We shot 16 millimeter. Oh, wow. Those are educational films. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> All good. <laughs> so when you were shooting those, that educational cinema, if yeah, you will. Yeah, there you go. Um, were you starting to see the spark of like wanting to teach? No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, That's totally fair. Uh, I think what happened was um, I needed money in grad school right. and I got a job being a teaching assistant. Oh, and then okay. they also had a teaching position for a video class. Mm. And I did those two classes and I thought, man, I really like doing this mm. because I got, I, I'm easily excitable about stuff. And when I learn <laughs> right. something new, I just want to share it with everybody. Right. And so my teaching style developed really quickly as being one a style that was incredibly energetic. I'm right. jumping around the room, waving my arms. And I still do that today. <laughs> That's what I've heard. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, you know, it hasn't changed. I hear about something right. new and I just want to, there's some mornings where I wake up now, like this week, and I want to run into my class and share it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the passion for teaching is to right. to want to continue to explore new territory and to continue to inspire other people mm -hmm. to make things as well. So mm -hmm. that's what I really liked about teaching. And I realized right. I was really good at it. Right. So 
um, you know, so after a, a few years of corporate work, I thought I, I want to take a little break and mm. I'd love to go teach somewhere for, for just a little bit and come right. back to New York maybe. And, hmm. and I think I had a bad day in New York and, you know, I don't know, one too many rats on the subway or, <laughs> uh, yeah. or something. Yeah. And I don't really, I don't remember how it all went down, but I think it was midnight in the garden of good and evil. I mm. read the book and said, I'll go to Savannah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. And then I found out there, I had friends from high school that came to, that went to SCAD. Oh, okay. Like, you know, during his first year, apparently. No, right, I'm kidding. Yeah. Not that old. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> right. And so I came down here and I checked it out and I was like, I dig this. Mm-hmm. This is great. Yeah. This is a, this is a funky town. It's my, my speed is kind of like New Orleans, but doesn't smell like pee everywhere. <laughs> It's like maybe less drunk people, yeah, well, but also maybe not. Depends on the night of the week. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> Do you take um, pride in fostering your students' fascination with filmmaking in the same way that you were going through that when you were going through school? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I look That's back. That's got to feel amazing. It feels terrific. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I'm not kidding. There's still days today where I, I get goosebumps teaching. Because when you hear of that that idea or you see yeah. that spark or you see like the ignition key turn in a student, you're like, yeah, they just got it. That's awesome. Right. right. Do um, you remember what your first memory of that was when you were teaching here? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I do. It was my first quarter teaching. Do you mind sharing that story? Yeah, I'll share. It's a little weird. Okay. Um, Perfect. So, I, you know, rolling in, I was teaching... I was teaching a sound class mm. and I was also teaching this freshman level film 100 class. Okay. And I gave an assignment that was based on an assignment that I got as a student. And there was this one kid in the class out of 20 who just, I don't know, wasn't connecting with him. He was just checked out. Yeah. Uh, the other 19 students were all excited. Right. And they were all like excited to go out and make their little 60 second movie and mm-hmm. turn it in and except this one guy, you know. And he's like, yeah, whatever. And I couldn't connect with him. And I felt like such a failure as a teacher. Mm. I, I felt like a failure because I couldn't connect with this one kid. Mm-hmm. The 19 other people I wasn't right. really looking at as success. It was just mm. this failure was all I could see. And a couple of weeks later, I kept prodding him and prodding him to, to do this project. And he brought it in. And it was phenomenal. And I told him, he's like, oh, okay. And I thought, oh, okay. Well, something sparked in him. Right. And he ended up like dropping the class, and I realized later he had issues he needed to address. Right, and, you know he got help for those, mm-hmm. but something creative happened with him, mm. and I thought, all right, cool. If if all else is lost, right. this I I was able to connect with him, and he was inspired enough to at least go out and do this thing. And I don't mm. know I don't know if it was anything that I did to inspire him, or mm-hmm. maybe I just berated him <laughs> to the point where he finally just said, "Screw it, I'll do it." Right. You were talking about how you're so excited about just new things that you want to teach your students about and everything. And, you know, sadly, not everyone listening to this podcast can take your classes. So what is the new thing that you want to tell your students about right now? Oh, man. (laughs) There's so much. I'm sure. (laughs) I mean, it's changing every day. In my my hand, I'm, um, I'm holding my iPhone. And everybody has one of these things now. Right. Man, I was in rural China last year. I saw old ladies with these things in their hands, right? I was like, everybody's got a phone. Right. And everybody's got a camera on this phone. Mm -hmm. And that means everybody can be a filmmaker. I think that's exciting. One of the assignments, or a couple of the assignments, well, this one particular assignment I give is a five by five. I have students go out and shoot five shots with their phone. Each shot is five seconds long. And that means you come out with a... 25 second film. Right. So how do you draw connections? Mm. And what what I 
what we figure out is that we spend more time thinking about the film than actually shooting it. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a problem solving exercise. Mm. And so many of these little 25 second five shot movies are become just sheer poetry. That's exciting. I think what's new and exciting now is the, what we've always known that everybody has the resources to tell a story. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look back at the epics of Marsha McLuhan's communication through human history, mm -hmm. you know, we all went to, to try, we began as tribal culture, right? oral culture, you know, I would tell you a story about this community and you would pass that story on through word of mouth and our children would hear that story and then they would pass it down. You know, this, this went on for thousands of years right. and everybody could tell the story. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure like a game of telephone, it got, you know, mauled along the way <laughs> right. and became what it was. Yeah. Um, but then we had, had um, manuscript culture mm -hmm. that developed. Somebody created an alphabet and they wrote that down, but only a few people could read it. So mm -hmm. suddenly storytelling became very limited. Mm. But then Gutenberg came along and said, wait a minute, if we could, you know, mass produce manuscripts, mm. everybody could learn to read. And that became exciting. Mm -hmm. And then the digital age came and people could talk on the telephone and tell stories mm -hmm. with people across the country. Right. And we could send um, stories through the air on radio and television. Mm -hmm. But those stories were limited to the people who had the tools and the skill sets to tell those stories. Right. And now we're in this new age, this digital age, where everybody has the tool sets. Mm -hmm. There is a, there's a phone in everyone's hand. Everyone mm -hmm. can make a movie. Everyone can cut that movie and edit it on their phone and even distribute it. Right. I remember taking a train from Boston to New York and shooting a train movie and then editing it on my phone right. and then texting it to my kids. Mm-hmm. And then I got off the train. I was yeah. like, well, I made a movie, yeah. you know, about a train ride during the train ride right. from soup to nuts. I thought that was exciting. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know where this is going yet. I mean, we have YouTube, we have Vimeo. Right. We're looking at the next step for what this, what this means mm -hmm. in terms of social media. Uh, but I, there's something really democratic about that that I find exciting. Yeah. And I, I wanted to lead into that because I think one of the things that's so interesting about the access to technology, like as we're seeing with the, you know, riots in Hong Kong, like those people that are rioting, luckily can document their experience. And if we, if they couldn't, like we wouldn't know what's happening because it would be controlled by like state media. So like not to get political or anything, we but can get political. I know you're very active in, in politics. So what role do you think social media and like just access to technology in general and the democratization of it is going to play in the future as we are trying to become a more just society and just world. Well, I think you hit it. Um, what we're seeing in Hong Kong reminds me of uh, the, the story of the killing of Osama bin Laden and how that unfolded over Twitter. Mm. You know, so social media right. is real time storytelling. Um, but then again, we have to look at the source for stories. Right. And opinion in storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we look at almost kind of a, a graph, we can see where different stories fall on a spectrum, whether they're opinion or fact generated, mm -hmm. or if they lean towards a particular ideology, mm -hmm. you know, those are the things that affect the types of stories that we tell. Right. This morning, uh, between classes, I was looking 
at a variety of news sources about the impeachment hearings that are happening. And at the time of this recording, as we know, there are hearings in the uh, U.S. House of Representatives right. about yes. the impeachment of Donald Trump. For record, we're recording this on November 13th. So if something happens after November 13th that we don't cover, that's why. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. But, you know, I'm looking at the different news sources and what the headlines look at. Mm-hmm. And I'm look- I am really try to look at news coverage across the spectrum of right. uh, a position. Mm-hmm. And... It's fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating how facts get spun and how facts mm-hmm. get distributed as opinion um, mm-hmm. and how facts are, are can be generated. We're living, living in a time of alternative facts. And because of that, we're also living in a time where I think we're backing off on owning and being responsible for the work and the ideas that we generate. Mm-hmm. You know, as you know, Facebook, which is still popular and mm-hmm. uh, other social media outlets, it's a lot easier to lambast somebody uh, when you're not looking at them in the face or being present. Right. Yeah. Um, there's this kind of uh, sense of permission that we've given mm. to attack and to blame and to right. shame. And it's always interesting when, when you meet that person in, in the flesh after they've attacked or blamed or shamed you, there's that awkwardness. Yeah, because there's still a human there. Yeah. Yeah, who has hopes and dreams just like you. You got it. Hopes and dreams. So... Other than, you know, doing what you do and trying to pay attention to multiple news sources and be as objective as possible, like, how do we navigate this? And I think that's that's something right now that, like, Mark Zuckerberg and, like, heads at Google and these huge companies, Jack from Twitter, the CEO of Twitter, like, are trying to figure out, like, how to manage this, especially after the 2016 election and leading into the 2020 election. So, like, do you have hope for that in the future? Like, do you have for the state of social media in general? I do, yeah. Okay. Um, I have I have uh, rules for myself and guidelines for others when mm-hmm. it comes to social media, and I think you know it's interesting. We start talking about like <laughs> this is an interesting conversation. Uh, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Yeah, me too. Likewise, <laughs> I'm glad. Um, I think we have to create guidelines for civil discourse. Right. And and civil discourse doesn't mean you're agreeing with someone. It doesn't mean that you're giving them. Uh, permission to be unjust or oppressive. I think civil discourse is a way of listening and understanding. I, for years, hosted this, con- this a conversation group here in Savannah called right. Common Grounds, mm-hmm. and we've adapted some guidelines for discussion that mm-hmm. I also utilize on social media. Things mm-hmm. like not blaming and shaming anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do that, you're going to get shut down. Right. Uh, I'm not really interested in debates as much as I'm interested in discussions. Right. I'm not trying to win anything. I'm trying to listen and exchange ideas so that yeah. we might everyone move forward. Because with debates, there's the inherent view that there's a winner and a loser. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Instead of, uh, and, you know, I think a lot of people are scared and they're mm-hmm. trying to simply buckle down on their own worldview. Right. So I think guidelines for discussion are really imperative mm-hmm. and to get people to agree to those guidelines. Yeah. So from one Mississippian to another, how was growing up in Mississippi? important for your view of civil discourse and stuff like that because obviously for those who may not know (laughs) other than everyone else in the country you know mississippi doesn't have the best past and it's something that we're still actively dealing with and um there are a lot of injustices happening in the state um across many many issues so like growing up in that environment was that something that you were paying attention to even before internet yeah i think so Mm -hmm. um my my last name is Cheney, and that's one of the names of Schwerner Goodman and Cheney were three civil rights 
workers who were murdered outside of Philadelphia, Mississippi. Really? Wow. Um, in the 1960s. And when I left Mississippi, people would uh, would ask me, are you related to James Cheney? Hmm. And I'd have to do my homework. I knew who the right. name was. But then I became really aware that that was something that was probably more talked about outside of the state than in it. I think growing up in Mississippi, I was instilled with a lot of um, a lot of kindness towards people. Right. And I think because of my faith and my family's faith, mm-hmm. there was uh, a real sense of justice there that mm-hmm. was imbibed in me. And I greatly appreciate that. Right. And then there's also those famous Mississippi manners. Right. You know, if you're going to go a long way, they sure do. They go if, a long way. If you're going to have a conversation about, yeah. you know, somebody, you're going to do it with a smile on your yeah. face. <laughs> Even though they're a rat bastard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, my mom would always say, don't say anything about anybody. If you can't say anything nice about somebody, right. don't say anything at all. Right. I, you know, I think there's... There's some leeway to that. There's a lot of leeway to that. <laughs> I think you can be critical of people who are right. unjust and oppressive. Right. Uh, but I think it's the way you go about doing it. Mm-hmm. And I learned early, you know, just because you're really polite and you're really sweet and you're funny and you're pleasant to be around... That doesn't necessarily make you a good moral or ethical person. I think that is one of the many lessons that is learned while growing up. And you realize that like not every adult is as they portray them to be. (laughs) Because uh, like something that I've thought about, even though I'm obviously actively still growing up. um, We all are. Exactly. Exactly. When I was back in like elementary school and middle school, I thought that like you know, adults could do no wrong. They had lived longer, so they just knew everything. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, it's partly a relief and also partly uh, a shattering of a worldview growing up and, like, talking to adults as a new adult, early adult, if you will, and realizing, like, oh, you maybe are an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's that's a possibility. Pro- it's probably an immature way of putting it, but no, you know, some, this is kind of the way it is for some people. Well, I don't know if people are assholes, but they act like assholes. Yes, yes, exactly. So, right. Uh, that's the pastor in you. Yeah, well, that's, that's the pastor too. wisdom. <laughs> and that's a perfect tie in to um I want to talk about uh your philosophies on theology and cinema because you're a pastor here in Savannah and you do some preaching when you go back home to Vicksburg. Every I have now before, and then, right? yes. Okay. When did you start pursuing a career in uh, theology? You know, I, I think I've been interested in theology as long as I've been interested in art. Mm. Um, I was, I, I, I think my parents would back me up on this. I, I can't remember what year it was that I was thrown out of the first Baptist church Sunday school for asking too many <laughs> questions. Um, but I think it might have been around 10 or 11. <laughs> so take him and <laughs> right. send him back to the Episcopal church. We don't want him here. <laughs> Um, That's great. Because I think that theology and, and art making are really about asking questions. And I think they're mm-hmm. so intertwined. Mm-hmm. I really do. Um, I think theology is about exploring something that is uh, cosmic and that is binding and collects us together. Mm-hmm. And I think art does something similar. Uh, and the same thing goes with cinema, you know? Right. Um, there are not too many places in our world today where we can get together across a broad diversity of social, economic, um, racial and divisions right. than a movie house. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go see a movie in a, in a movie theater, depending on the film, I look around, I can see a, a blue, blue-haired old lady from an upscale retirement community and an African-American teenager from the projects. Mm-hmm. And we're all sitting there in the same room together. Where else does that happen? You know, and suddenly doesn't happen. Certainly doesn't happen in most churches. Right. So is is film like another 
religion in a way? <laughs> it could be. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. It's, I, I wonder if that has something to do with the popularity of comic book movies today. Mm. Uh, we, we're, we're, we have backed away from a deeper understanding of what God might mean. We've backed away from really looking at heroic people from our past and we're looking for something to fill that void right. and we're filling it with, you know, comic book heroes. Mm -hmm. um, we want something bigger to believe in. We want something that's going to, that's going to be good, but be also complex mm -hmm. and have some ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes in, in my view, I think good theology is complex and does have some ambiguity in there that allows mm -hmm. us to experience and to investigate Mm -hmm. what a, some kind of cosmic presence in our life might mean. As a pastor, do you feel that you are almost like a religious teacher in a way? Like, do you get that same excitement and like try to see that same spark in people in the same way that you do in the classroom? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 I think it's all interconnected. Yeah. Whether I'm preaching, administering sacraments as a priest, teaching in the classroom, making art, mm -hmm. showing films. I just, I love the idea of engaging people Mm -hmm. for something greater. Mm. It's very poetic. That's oh, very thanks. well said. Oh, that thanks, was said like a, like a smart <laughs> Mississippian. I appreciate that. Um, this is a question that was submitted by Kara Ang, who is a SCAD film senior. Oh, great. Um, did I make Kara angry this week? You very much did. It's The question is, uh, why do I have a B? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love you commented on, the, on my Facebook post where you said... Uh, Asking my students for questions in the middle of finals might result in some interesting questions. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie, you're doing great. Yes. Fro Frozen Pizza is a terrific screenplay. It is. It is. And it's going to be a terrific film. It really is. But uh, what she wanted me to ask you is, um, what has changed the most in the content your students have produced since you started teaching? And how long have you been a teacher? Man, you ready for this? Yes, sir. 22 years. I'm 22 years old. There you go, You started man. in 1997? I started in 19 January of 1998. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm 22 years into my 10-week plan. <laughs> it's, going, it's working out yeah, great. It man. is. Yeah. That's great. So in those past 22 years, what's been, like, how has it evolved? I think stories are more complex and they're smarter today. Mm. Yeah. I think By that, smarter, you mean, like, dealing with... They're dealing with more complex issues. Right. Okay. They're dealing with more complex characters. Mm. Um, they're definitely prettier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Because the equipment we have today yields, you know, effortless result. Well, I should say effortless, right. but uh, results with less effort. Right. Um, so I also think there's a deeper understanding in terms of media literacy. You know, 22 hmm. years ago, students weren't consuming as much media as you right. guys do. That's true. Um, Y'all are watching, you're binging stuff daily. Yeah. You're watching things on your phones, Like man. it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I look at media on my phone, on my laptop, yeah. on my computer at home, on uh, my television at home. You know, 20 years ago, we were checking out VHS tapes at the Blockbuster. Right. Uh, we were watching whatever we could get our hands on. And mm -hmm. we weren't consuming a fraction of the amount of media you consume today. But I think mm -hmm. we were being, we were, we were more uh, 
discerning in the media that we chose to consume. So if I'd watch two movies, a four, if I would do like four, consume four hours of media a day mm-hmm. or five, you mm-hmm. know, I might do a two hour movie. I'd watch the news, believe right. it or not, you know, um, <laughs> people did that one day. <laughs> they do. In fact, I still watch the news today. I, I, I tell myself if I watch the news at 630, I'm learning about these things at the same time as the rest of America. Now, I know that's a lie, but it's a nice yeah. thought. It's, it's like, nice the, I, it's like, like the that. scene from The Matrix. I know right. the steak isn't real, but it tastes really good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think there's a difference in terms of media literacy. Mm-hmm. It's not... It's a different kind of media literacy today. Right. I think 20 years ago, students were much more cinematic or cinematically literate. Today, right. there seems to be uh, more competition for your attention. So we've yeah. become... Um, I don't know. We've just become kind of saturated with a, a lot of different yeah. media. Um, I'm trying to think of the word for that. It's like overwhelming choice. It know? is. Yeah. And so I, I, and on one hand, it's very exciting. Yeah. One of the films I show all of my students is called How to, How to Lose Weight in Four Easy Steps. And it's uh, a great short film that masquerades as clickbait on Facebook. Right. And, you know, I'm scrolling through Facebook. I'm like, yeah, I'll click on that. I don't right. want to lose weight in four easy steps. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, step one, you know. No bread, right? It's, it's like or beer, no beer. It's like drink, eating a loaf of bread, or and then you know cut your portions in half. And step three, you get your heart broken. And then we get right. this five minute movie about how this guy gets his heart broken and starts going to the gym. Yeah. And then by the end of it, you're like, wow, I just got tricked into watching a movie on yeah. Facebook. That was cool. Right. And it's a really good movie. Yeah, it is. And it's the lead is Beck Bennett, who's yeah, from on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Conan O'Brien has a cameo. He's great. as a guy with the gym sock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's really gross. Exactly. <laughs> so, do you see or get worried that your students can get lost in like something that I get worried that I get lost in is just like I don't often challenge myself in what I consume. I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to enjoy this. So I'll just watch that. I won't try new things in terms of media because like I know these YouTubers I'm going to enjoy. So I'll just watch that for yeah. hours. So it's like, is that a worry? Of course it is. Yeah. Um, you guys are the future of storytellers. I want you to be <laughs> good at <laughs> it, better informed and, and right. more sophisticated in what you're doing. Right. Uh, you know, some people don't want to be sophisticated. And God bless them. Go make fun stuff. Right. Um, I mean, it depends on what your <laughs> on what your walk is. I remember mm-hmm. we had a, a a graduate student here about ten years ago, and he was completely nonplussed when he found out that I had never seen Attack of the Giant Leeches, and he insisted on bringing the DVD the next day and making me watch it. I'm like, uh, okay, yeah. I mean, he was just incensed that I was a professor <laughs> and I hadn't seen like, Attack of like the how Giant dare Leeches. Dare you? Yeah. And I was like a man of academia. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. I was like, Steve, what do you want to do with your life? He's like, I want to work for Roger Corman. You know, and maybe your listeners don't know who Roger Corman is, but he like he was the king of schlock horror movies from oh, the nineteen fifties okay. all the way through the eighties. You mm-hmm. know, and he's probably still he's probably hundred and eight years old. He's still working today. <laughs> yeah. And, and he gave like uh Francis Ford Coppola his first big break. Oh, um, okay. But he, you know, and that's what Steve wants to do. He wants to make things like sh- Sharknado. Right. And that's what he's doing. Yeah, I, you know he's making films like Hellyfish, and uh, <laughs> and he's living the dream. But he was really literate in that genre of filmmaking. I'm just flummoxed when I hear students that don't know who Francis Ford Coppola is today, right. or they don't know Marty Scorsese, other than he's the old dude that was ragging on Marvel movies, <laughs> you know, right? Um, or that don't watch films that were made in the 20th century. Mm, um, yeah. And there's, there are plenty. I'm, I'm just, I'm shocked that there aren't students, or that there are students that don't 
want to enrich their a deeper understanding right. of cinema. Right. So what's a film that a student has recommended to you that totally missed your radar that just blew your mind? And you were like, how did I miss this? Oh, man. Um, I'm sure it's a long it, list. No, no. <laughs> well, I just mean like because students are always yeah. just we consume different media than y'all do, of course. Um, I try to. Well, I have kids, and I really try to okay. keep my finger on the pulse of a lot mm -hmm. of stuff in terms of social media and YouTube. Being hip and cool, yeah. Being fly or, <laughs> yeah. or dope. Those are yes, nail on the head. Am I fly and dope? Absolutely. Okay. There's a right. fly in you my dope. You have the uh, podcast ordained. You fly. <laughs> <laughs> Sticker of approval. <laughs> right on. Right on. Right on. Um, so, golly. Um, my, first of all, it's finals week and my brain's right. like mashed potatoes. Yeah, and I'm trying to, there's a film, I think it was called Mr. Nobody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And a yeah. student recommended that. It Jared Leto in it. Yep. And I watched that and I said, okay, how did I miss this? This is good times. This is right. really fun. Um, I think um, I think a student actually turned me on to Wong Kar Wai. And and that was that was pretty awesome. Gotcha. Um, I think you learn a lot by going to film festivals. Right, right. And that is a perfect segue into this year's film festival. Uh, we just had the SCAD Savannah Film Festival. Feels like forever ago, but it was not that long ago. Just a couple weekends ago. It was ago. like last week, wasn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, something like that. You had a film playing in this year's film festival called Thin Places Iceland. Oh, I did. Yes. Please tell me about that film. Oh, Okay. <laughs> So um, here's the thing about teaching. It really, it really taxes your, your own creativity and mm -hmm. it taxes your creative energies. Um, when you spend 10 hours a day really focusing on other people's creativity, it can, you know, it can be exhausting. Right. And then you step back and think, wow, I used to make stuff wonderfully. Though, uh, the SCAD has a, a fellowship that, President Wallace offers to faculty for enrichment and development. Mm. And it's a way to get us, you know, out in the world doing things and motivated. So mm -hmm. I applied for this fellowship and I received it. I got a, an award that allowed me to travel to Iceland, which is a place I've wanted to go since I was a child. Right. I've been fascinated with it. Uh, the purpose of the travel was to make two films. I was really interested in this idea of immersion mm -hmm. in cinema. And that goes back to like the video installation right. stuff we were talking about. And also the virtual reality cinema, which is something I've been working on for a few years. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make the same film in two different versions. I wanted to make mm -hmm. a 360 or 360 degree virtual reality film. Mm -hmm. And shot for shot and cut for cut, I wanted to make the same film in a traditional format. Hmm. So I took two cameras. I, I took a virtual reality camera and I took a, a Canon C300 and hmm. I, I went to Iceland and made this film. But before I went, I kind of made the film on paper before I left. Right, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's what we call a structural film from mm -hmm. the experimental film tradition where you say, okay, well, the film's going to be five pairs of locations in each set is going to be exactly one minute long and each juxtaposition will be 30 seconds long. So mm -hmm. I know I need 10 locations. So I began to research the locations. Mm -hmm. um, to go back to the impetus of the story, I've been really fascinated with the cathedral in Reykjavik. Mm -hmm. It's Holgrimskirka. It's this just huge landmark on, mm -hmm. the, on, the, on the horizon of the, of the landscape of Reykjavik. And 
it's easily the tallest building in the yeah, country. Yeah, yeah. It's got these big columns on the front. And I found out that the architect was influenced by Reifischnauer Beach, which is on the southwest of the country, of the island. And the church literally looks like these basalt columns. And I started to poke around and look at other churches being a man of the cloth um, <laughs> and to see how churches were designed. And I saw a real, um, some really interesting architectural components that were embraced biomimetics, which mm -hmm. is the idea of copying the local landscape mm -hmm. into architecture. When Iceland got founded as a country a thousand years ago by some ruthless Vikings, um, they decided they needed some women. So they all went down to Ireland mm -hmm. and Scotland and kidnapped some and brought them back to Iceland. Hmm. And I guess apparently the women said, fine, you've kidnapped us, but this is how it's going to roll. You're going to be Christian now. <laughs> oh, nice. And they brought with them some of their Irish or Celtic Christian traditions, mm -hmm. which is this concept of thin places. And a thin place is a place where the spiritual and the physical are very close. Mm. It's when that veil between the two is very thin. Mm -hmm. There's a Celtic saying that says heaven and earth are only three feet apart, but in thin places, it's a, it's a little bit shorter. I love this idea of a kind of a mystical, physical space where you feel the presence of something cosmic. And I'm fascinated with the artistic or intrinsic desire to try to mimic that cosmic feeling mm -hmm. through the things that we create, right. whether it's art or architecture mm -hmm. or churches. We try to create and stimulate that connection between the divine and the human experience mm -hmm. in a physical space that we create that is already done in nature. Hmm. So I just got a little cosmic there, but um, love it. That was the that was the reasoning behind making this structural film. I mm -hmm. wanted to find five churches that mimicked the spirituality of the landscapes that their architecture gotcha. represents. So. How was your festival experience here? It was great. It yeah. was good. It was, you know, it was um, it was really nice to have a film in the festival. Mm -hmm. This is like the third film I've had in the festival, okay. so it was really it was really nice mm -hmm. to 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 be able to show your work in your hometown, right. so to speak. Right. It's also really nerve wracking because your students show up and go, like, "All right, let's see what the teacher yeah, made," you know. Right. And so there's that. Did you get good feedback? I got some good feedback. Yeah. I got I got some head scratching because you know mm -hmm. it is a it's kind of an experimental film. Mm -hmm. It's a structural film. It's there are no people in the movie. Mm. It's just shots of churches and landscapes. Mm -hmm. It's not for everybody, right? That's cool, and that's okay. That's all right. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, I want to go into another question that Kara asked. Of course, or at least I hope, a lot of people that are listening to this are filmmakers at you know various stages of their careers, whether they're just starting out or you know actively in film school. Um, you've made many short films and you've, you know, obviously been teaching for my entire life. And ma the majority <laughs> of, uh, you know, our, our assignments are typically all short films, whether it's like a documentary or a narrative. What is the most important thing about making a short film? I think the most important thing about making a short film is understanding the economy of a short film. Hmm. And when I mean, when I say the word economy, I don't mean the financial economy. Right. I mean, there's no business model for short films, let's face it. <laughs> yeah. Spend a bunch of money, make a movie. At the end, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. there's no return on investment. Lose money. <laughs> there's no financial return on, on investment right. uh, until, you know, the long haul, mm -hmm. like 20 years later when you have a huge career. Right. But I, 
I think the most important aspect of making a short film is understanding how short films work differently than feature films. Mm. And I often use the um, analogy of Japanese poetry in my class. Mm -hmm. um, the Japanese have a saying about poetry and, and literature. Literature is like a bowl of rice. Mm -hmm. And every element of literature, a line of dialogue, just like a, a feature film, like a, a line of dialogue or a shot or a dolly track or um, an emotional beat or all the things that make a big feature film is like a big bowl of rice. And it's very satisfying when you've eaten this bowl of rice over two hours. Our, our thought as filmmakers sometimes can be, oh, if I'm going to make a short film, I'm just going to make a smaller bowl of rice. Right. Or I'm going to yeah. take all the rice in this bowl and try to cram it into a smaller right. bowl, which is more often than yeah. not the case. <laughs> yeah. But a short film is like Japanese poetry. It's mm. not a smaller bowl of rice it's the distillation of that bowl of rice into something concentrated mm. it's a shot of rice wine and i think that's what a short film is a right. short film is a shot of rice wine i mean there are different types of short films there's the punchline one two short right. film um there's a kind of you know more contemplative short film mm -hmm. there's the questioning short film but i think a short film is a window that opens mm -hmm. up into a different world and allows us to peek through mm -hmm. whereas a feature film is some other metaphor like a giant doorway you know? <laughs> right something like that <laughs> yeah um are you continually surprised at the kind of shorts that your students are producing yeah 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 I'm continually surprised and i think it's exciting mm -hmm. um is there a common thread that connects like in the past few years, like this thing that you're noticing with each short film? The good ones. Yeah. I think um, I had a student last year, Beppy Geitman. I don't know if you know, I probably miss, probably butchering her last name. Uh, Beppy said something that I that really resonates with me and something I believe in. Mm -hmm. uh, she said she wanted to make films that trusted their audience. Mm. And I completely agree wow. with that statement. Yeah. Um, I really like films that trust their audience instead of films that are didactic mm. and want to explain everything to me through crawling credits or through dialogue in the first five minutes. I want a film to trust me. I mm -hmm. want film to engage me in dialogue. Mm -hmm. When I walk away from a good film, regardless if it's a short film or a two hour or three hour epic or even a 10 hour miniseries on Netflix or Hulu, I want to walk away with a dialogue. Mm -hmm. I want to dialogue with that art. Right. I want to engage and ask questions. I want to think about it. You know, I, I think about the act that was on Hulu. Mm -hmm. It was an eight-part miniseries that was produced and directed by a SCAD alum. Oh, really? Stephen Pyatt, yeah. Wow. Um, I was thinking about that show today. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that show's been off the air since like the spring. Right. And I'm still thinking about it. I'm still asking questions mm -hmm. about it. I'm still wondering about the characters. I'm wondering about the situation. I'm wondering about the ethics. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. That's real cool when I can, you know, come back to a show yeah. six months later. When it sticks with you. Yeah. And I think you can do that with short films. Right. Absolutely. So like I said earlier, sadly, not everyone can take your classes. <laughs> Even not every SCAD film student can take your classes. Um, if you could teach everyone listening to this episode one thing, what would it be? Somebody asked me to give one of those last lecture things a few years back. Mm -hmm. And what I focused on was trying things on, mm. you know. Um, give things a shot and open your mind and try things on. And I, I think that that opens us up to new ways of experiencing the world. Mm -hmm. And regardless of that's theological or practical or cultural, you know, I remember the first time I tried sushi, I was like, this is something I've never put in my mouth before. <laughs> yeah. Fish is raw. Yeah. His rice is kind of sweet. 
This is fascinating. This is it fried? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not in Vicksburg anymore. I, you know, that that experience was really robust and I want more of those, you mm -hmm. know? That's what I loved about Iceland, driving around, right. you know, two weeks in a circle and yeah. eating weird things. Um, but I think if I could t teach anybody, anyone, it would be to, um, to step out of your comfort zone mm -hmm. and be okay with being challenged, you know? I think we find safety... In, in familiarity mm -hmm. and safety yeah. and familiarity is important right. to us and we can also learn a lot when we step out of that safety zone mm -hmm. we can learn a lot about ourselves as well as other people mm -hmm. how are you trying to step out of your safety zone oh constantly i mm -hmm. mean i think i'm trying to step out of my safety zone by as a priest mm -hmm. um, preaching justice and anti-oppression um it ruffles feathers and it'd yeah. be a lot easier if I didn't ruffle feathers, but I feel compelled to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I'm stepping out of my safety zone sometimes by speaking up and mm -hmm. being a presence for community um, organizing, mm -hmm. community activism. Um, you know, I'm, every time I put a bullhorn in my hands and stand up on a ladder in front mm -hmm. of a thousand people, it gets a little, you know. Yeah. Oh, crap. What am I going to say now? <laughs> right. <laughs> They're demanding something. Yeah. Uh, or... Even sometimes when I approach somebody who has really different opinions than I do, and mm -hmm. it's a one-to-one -one conversation, I think that takes me out of my comfort zone and my safety zone. And it helps me to understand, really under, not fight with somebody and not belittle them, but really understand where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to understand. I think I think I, um, I I take myself out of my safety zone where I, when I eat weird food mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I get sick. <laughs> but I'm going to continue to do that. Right. Right. This episode will come out during winter break of the uh, SCAD academic year. Finishing off this this year, this school year, what are you most excited for with the student projects that you're seeing and the students that are like about to graduate? Wow. Well, um, gosh, it feels like it's the first of three quarters in the academic year. <laughs> yeah. So it's, for me, it still feels like we're at the beginning and I have yeah. a lot of hope. Right. Um, I, we're at the end of a 10 week quarter where I've worked with a class of 20-something students developing ideas. Mm -hmm. And what's exciting is you, you begin with this kind of nascent idea in your head, and it's like a spark of something, and then it comes out of your mouth, mm -hmm. and then it comes onto paper, right. and then you read it, and all of a sudden it's kind of like, this was a weird little spark, <laughs> and now it's an a it's actual ink on a page, right. and now there are people sitting around a table talking about how to turn this into a movie. Mm -hmm. That's exciting because these ideas that came from um, God only knows mm. are becoming real. Right. It's exciting. Right. You know, and I think it's kind of scary for students because it's for in a lot of ways, it's like saying, wow, I, I'm, I'm going to do this. And it, it is it is scary. You yeah. Know? We talked about being scared. It's like I'm right. scared when I showed my film at the film festival. Right. Yeah. I got scared how people might judge me on it. Right. But exactly. it is what it is. Yeah, but the the reward, like, because it's so risky, in air quotes, that makes the reward that much better. You I know? guess. Yeah. I mean, there's still people today that think Jackson Pollock was, a you know, a huckster. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so I am graduating this year. Which, Congratulations. Thank you. Speaking of scary times. No, the world is yours. <laughs> well, thank you. There is more content being produced right now than ever before there's right. so much media and there's so many jobs out there mm -hmm. i was i'm thinking about you know thinking about thinking about uh oh my gosh what is joyce's last name jean louis 
And Joyce graduated a couple of years ago. Man, she was a riot. I, I just, I adore her. But I, I, she was just doing all kinds of funky stuff in college, man. Her work was crazy. It was great, in a gr- crazy in a good way. You right. know? She was trying all kinds of things on, falling down, going, I'll just try something else. Right. And she is of Haitian heritage. And she made this amazing little video ode to her Haitian cooking about how to make uh, griots and BuzzFeed picked it up she had like 40 million hits on her or something oh, wow. and i was just like wow. oh my gosh i was like texting her like i am so proud of you yeah. she's just so chill she's like yeah you know i love my cooking <laughs> right <laughs> she was so humble about it all right. it's great that's the kind of thing that excites me i see students yeah. who just really follow their bliss right you know it's like you know just follow your bliss this is a this is probably a weird advice question and if it's hard to answer or, or stupid and you can't come up with anything you know Feel free to cast it aside because I just thought of this. I've interviewed several professors and I always ask them, like, what's your advice to people graduating? Because I'm asking for advice for me. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? fair enough. Um, because uh, I know talking to my fellow students, we're like constantly, it's in the back of our mind, like, oh, one day this, you know, the safety net is going to fall away and now we have to figure it out. So I'm always asking, like, you know, what to do. And, and you get this great advice of, like, follow your bliss, you know, and stick with those who you worked with in college and stuff like that. Um, what should I do in the week that I graduate? Honestly, enjoy it with your friends and family. Enjoy it. Man, the hard work's coming. Enjoy it. Perfect. That was a perfect answer. Good job. I love that. Yeah, right <laughs> That's on, perfect. Man. Well, Professor Cheney, this has been a bunch of fun. This hour flew by. You can. We're done. Yeah, we're at an hour four in terms of the recording. Dang, dude. <laughs> um, but I'd love are, to have you guys Are you, you going to edit all the farts out? Uh, I think I'm going to amplify them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Make them even more. Um, this has been a bunch of fun, and I'm sure that you know our audience will be able to take a lot away from this. And again, I know this is a very busy time, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. No, it's my pleasure, Wes. This is a lot of fun. Wish we could do it some more. Yeah. Well, I'd love to have you on again. Rock and roll. 